everybody. Hey, squad. Guys, it's been, it feels like it's been so long. It's been a minute, especially since we've recorded a, a real, actual episode. Yeah, I was thinking about the episode that we recorded right before you left, and I was like, oh my god, that was so short. And it was even shorter, obviously, when I edited it down, but I was like, I feel, it, it almost felt like I had skipped a class. I was like, oh my god. Where? I know, I'm like, how do I even do this now? What are we talking about? I don't even know. What show is this? That's how it, no, that's how it, like, when I sat down to watch this episode, I was like, it's so weird to be doing this again. <laughs> I know, and it's all, probably only been like two weeks since I've taken notes, but I'm like, oh my God, really? This is all I do? Yeah, we both had trouble, not trouble, but like, this is also a tough episode. Oh, well, spoiler alert, an episode about sex crimes was tough, um, but... <laughs> They did give us a couple of not tough storylines in the beginning. So it's so funny to me that we're both of us are just like, oh, we're going to do this podcast. It's going to be so fun. And then surprise Pikachu face when it's like upsetting because it is about sex crimes. We're like, really? Oh my God. Well, I guess all the true crime podcasts before us made us feel like it would be easy. They don't care as much as we do. No, it's true. I feel like once again, because we, we sort of, we did the thing where we didn't really discuss it. We kind of did because there was one day where I was like, I have to get off my chest a few things <laughs> before we record, but we mostly didn't. So I want to know if our theories match up. Oh, it's, well, well, let's get into it. This is a depressing fucking episode. Yeah, guys, this is both a star studded and depressing episode. So star studded. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. This is Law and Order. Season one, episode 16, the first, no, the second, no, the third guy. Oh, right. It's the third guy. (laughs) This comes up a lot. This comes up so much. Also the word boys. I noticed that my second watch through and I was like, stop. (laughs) Anyway, original Uh, air date, February 25th, 2000 and directed by Judd Taylor opening scene they give us the title card that it's once again monday thank god thank god because can you imagine it's february it's february it's valentine's day weekend 2000 kathy needs her husband at home she does he can't be out solving especially heinous crimes no he has a family and i'm so sick of him using (laughs) this job as an excuse is a father a father so, yeah, it's February 14th, 2000, even though in my mind in this show, it's really 2001 because in Stocked, we ended in April 2000, but then in Disrobed, we were back in January 2000. So confusing. But then I asked Alexa, never mind. <laughs> mind your peace, Alexa. Like, can't you tell when I'm just talking about you and not to you? Um, I asked her what day of the week. February 14th, 2000 was, and it was Monday. So that's how I was able to cross check Mm. this fuck shit. I'm Mm. sorry. That was five minutes. Dun dun. Opening scene. Monday, February 14th, 2000. The door to an apartment is left ajar and a handyman slash delivery man. It's a delivery man. He enters and he's very cautious because the door's ajar. He's calling for Mrs. Bernstein and he slowly moves throughout the apartment. And as he does, he sees that it's trashed. But it wasn't like super trashed it was like kind of just one little section of the living room well it looked like someone went in and was like and then left and what was scattered on the floor because it looked like plastic jewels to me 
I was going to say it looked like glitter. It looked like someone, like there was a third grade project in there and they were like, no, and they like threw it. You know how much we love this props department? They probably came in and they were like, all right, guys, you need to just make this room kind of a mess. And one of them just like picked up a can of like fake jewels and just spread it on the floor and was like, I did a good job. I gotta go take a break. I love how when we describe the background, the, the behind the scenes of the show, it's always like some some idiot who's left in charge. Making stupid posters and sprinkling jewels on the floor. Naming people stupid things like the same name 50 times in one script. Yeah. But it's got to be that because if it were a real old lady's house, there would be a tin of hard candy scattered all over the floor. And I didn't see what. Unless they were stolen. More on that later. More on that later. So he walks past the glitter pebbles um, and sparkles and he goes into the bedroom and he finds Mrs. Bernstein, an elderly woman tied to her bed with her nightgown askew and she is dead. Yes. And somehow, this is just for you and me, but somehow I managed to type the forte symbol (laughs) right after that. I'm not sure why, but just like the the pretty little F for forte. It's like a little musical number. And a five, six, seven, eight, Stabler and Olivia are here. Uh, They are there with the CSU slash homicide people. I always forgot that homicide shows up first. Because it's like a dead person. Right. I'm always like, why didn't they get... I'm like, they're always so late to these crimes. Then I'm like, oh, no, they have to be called in. So Liv remarks that there's a lot of damage in the apartment for one person to have caused. And one of the homicide cops mentions that Mrs. Bernstein lives alone. They walk through the bedroom and they, they walk into the bedroom. Excuse me. And they see her there lying as we described her. The CSU guy says that the attacker ejaculated on her thigh. And she was tied to the bed with her own support hose. Olivia comments that the attacker came unprepared, so this rape was probably an afterthought to this robbery. And sweet baby Angel Stabler's like, how could someone have thoughts like these about a grandmother? I was going to say, much like when he was really surprised about incest and uh, models with anorexia, he's very surprised about this. He's very, I don't know, there's a little naivete to Stabler that I'm always like, listen, I do think it's truly disgusting that anyone's raped. Not a, but even not like especially a grandma. It's like it's disgusting when anyone's raped. So yeah, exactly. Done, 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 done. So now we're at the station. Doctor Skoda's here, and Cragen is fucking pissed. Oh my god, this was so funny. Skoda and Elliot were having like a little bit of a whisper conversation. They were like, yeah, sure, like do like a little secret handshake. And then Elliot walks over to Cragen. He's like, why is he here? It's very bitchy. So Craig and Elliot have like a dumb little fight about it. He's like, why is the shrink here? And Elliot's like, Dr. Skoda is here because I thought that based on the crime scene, he could help us come up with an evaluation. Elliot calls Dr. Skoda the best in his field. And Craig says that he's the best in his own mind. And I'm like, where? Ooh, what is this beef? Tea. Yeah, what is this? So then Craigan's like, okay, we'll tell him, like, go away. Tell him to stay away. Yeah, go away. We don't want him here. And then Stabler says it's too late because he's already invited him on the case. I like how it's apparently rude. And I do think a captain could easily be like, hey, we don't really need you here. Goodbye. But Craigan won't do that. He wants Elliot, little Elliot, to go over to Skoda and be like, actually, I made a mistake. We don't need you. It's too late. We can't disinvite him from the case. It's like, um, this is a job. It's not like a, it's not it's a not brunch. A pu- yeah, it's not a little brunch. Although Cragen and Elliot are both kind of acting like it is, so. And I loved when Cragen saw him speaking to Skoda. He kind of looked like an angry best friend, kind of like, Ooh. like, it is, 
it's giving that the friend group is trying to bring Skoda in and like invite him on little outings and Craig and she doesn't want him no. here. No, she doesn't know her. So not really a dun-dun, but kind of like a pan over to the bullpen meeting. Uh, Benson and Stabler are giving the rundown of the crime scene. It seems that Mrs. Bernstein woke up, had her breakfast, changed the food in her bird feeder, and then crawled back into bed to warm up. I know. And then, I know that really, this one. So then Stabler says a junkie. (laughs) I'm like, where'd you get that from? (laughs) He's like, some junkie scum came in through the window, tied her up, gagged her, and raped her. There's no substances that they have found here to imply that it was someone with a substance misuse disorder. Very annoying. So they also note that Mrs. Bernstein was 72, and she was a widow, and that her only son had died. Ugh. If I was Mr. Mrs. Bernstein, I would be so insulted by this episode because they kept being like, she is literally so old. So old. She's I 72. Know. That's not even that old. It's, it's so crazy, though, because when you watch, like, true crime from the 90s, and they'll be like, they'll show people who look like they're damn near 90, and then they'll be like, 54-year-old, and I'm like, oh, my God. No wonder our generation is so terrified of aging. It's true. The guy, the mailman guy from Cheers, he was, like, 35 or something. That's why when people hear, like, 30s their whole life, they hear old. You're not old. Like, you're really... You were 20 10 years ago, and 10 years before that, you were 10. 20 years ago, I was 12 years old, so fuck you guys. Thank you. That, was, that went so <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> she had this tragic address book where she crossed out all her dead friends' names and like inserted obituaries and funeral cards. It's a bit much. Yeah, that's, that is a lot. Um, everyone is just so upset that this happened to an old lady. I have that again in my notes. Oh, and then Stabler, yeah. then Stabler goes, because we're not done yet, goes, what kind of man rapes a little old lady? And I wish a wise man named Brian Casty were here and he would have told Stabler, you think you can't be raped, but a rapist doesn't care what you think. I mean, didn't Stabler see that poster? That mm. poster literally describes, it answers his question. He just doesn't seem to know a lot about his job. So Skoda interjects after this, this question that the suspect is probably sexually inexperienced, young, or otherwise a social misfit, who likely has a history of working short stints at, oh, menial jobs, excuse me. I thought I wrote mental jobs, and I was like, sure. sure. Olivia asks, projected mother rage? She's, and she has entered, she and Skoda have entered their um, turtleneck era, mm. so mm. I think they're taking things a little, they're growing up a little yes. bit. The kids are growing up. So Skoda says most likely, yes, there is projected mother rage and casually says that the perp's mother might have molested him or abandoned him. Cragen uh, doesn't give a shit about that, basically. Cragen goes, no disrespect to your psychological training, but I'd like to hear from the perp himself how he felt about his mother. Skoda kind of smirks at him like, "Mm, I know you don't like me. Mm." I wrote that, too, that Skoda kind of made this look like a a look you make when someone you're kind of (laughs) like, "Okay, I see what's going on here. We're in a pissing contest. Good old-fashioned pissing contest. I could watch a compilation on this episode of just the faces Skoda and Cragen make about each other. Oh, a lot of eye rolling, a lot of pursing of the lips, a lot of... It's a lot of face acting. (laughs) So much face acting from these two, and I say this with all due respect, bald gentlemen. white men we can say whatever we want come for me the visual so dun dun we're at the emmy's office our very first a-list appearance of the whole episode is lance reddick 
who tragically passed, what, two months ago? Yeah, in, in uh, March, I believe. Yeah, March 17th. He's in Oz, right? He was in oh, Oz. He was. was J.K. Simmons also in Oz? He was. Everyone's in Oz. I've never seen Oz. You see Chris Maloney's butt, right? I think you do. You see it in a shower scene. It's kind of wild, though. It does make you look at him a little differently. Like, well, he looks the exact same, which is kind of hilarious. Like, it's almost like they... It was hard for me being a massive SVU fan and then watching Oz like 20 something years later because you see Stapler running around like fucking people up. Well, in a in a very nefarious mm. way. Is it hot? Raping. People. Oh, OK. Never mind. I take that back. But Lance Reddick's most recent. He was in Resident Evil, uh, yeah. and, but he has been in the John Wick. What it was it? It's not a trilogy anymore when there's four franchise, a franchise, a quadrity. Star, icon, legend, R.I.P. Lance. Um, and he's just as fine in this. He looks exactly the same. He's the most beautiful voice. Oh, so soothing. And frankly, it's such a nice gift that we don't have to listen to cranky McCrank pants. I was at the opera and then I had to come in here. No much. I won't go to dinner with you. Yeah, I'd rather die and roll over than die again <laughs> rather than go to dinner with you, much. She is either an Aries or a Scorpio. I'm going to say Aries because they. Do y'all have a tendency to be like, I'm really funny and witty and sarcastic, but you're really just Just nasty. hurting people's feelings. Hurting people's feelings and then crying the most when people lash out at you. Mm. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. Anyway. Emmy Lance Reddick says that uh, Mrs. Bernstein died of a heart attack induced by the rape. And Jeffries comments that since the heart attack happened during the commission of a felony, this would technically be murder too. So the Emmy also states that there appear to be no internal contusions. So the perp was excited and then prematurely ejaculated. I'm guessing he means that there was no penetration. Is that what you got from that as well? Yeah, I'm not sure if, I mean, they call it a rape. So I guess we're supposed to assume it was, but you're right. Clearly it was an awful ordeal. They ask him to expedite the DNA. And then Munch says the paramedics called time of death at 1057. And asks how long before the heart, before then, the heart attack started. So Lance Reddick tells them that he needs to dissect the blood vessels and he's going to get back to them. And I wrote, ew, when I heard that. Fun. Can you imagine dissecting a blood vessel? That's tiny. I mean, a really small scalpel. I don't fucking know. Maybe that's why bitch lady's so mad all the time. Because she's always like, I'm going to dissect another blood cell. God, this takes forever. I mean, I get mad when I have to like sew my own little rips in my clothes. <laughs> I can't imagine dissecting a fucking blood vessel. <laughs> done, 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 done. So now we, are, we have taken to the streets. B&S are talking to one of Mrs. Bernstein's friends. Um, I wrote maybe because she doesn't really seem that upset. I thought perhaps she was like maybe just someone she knows at the synagogue. Maybe you're right about that because she was very, I mean, it's kind of Law & Order style to be cavalier as a witness, but... I just feel like an oh, elderly woman finds out her friend was brutally murdered, basically. I would be a little bit more Concerned. like... Concerned. Literally clutching my old lady pearls, yeah. you know? So that was strange. Anyway, I, not a big deal. I digress. Stabler's also holding her groceries, which I thought was kind of cute. Sweet. Put him in his place, mm. you know? Keep him busy. I did that too. I went, mm. mm. Like... I see you, Elliot. Okay. Mm. I see you holding the old lady's groceries. Okay. Mm. Olivia sees it too. Oh, did they share a gun? No, 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 no. I'm to? just saying she saw it. <sighs> they ask if Mrs. Bernstein was known to wear expensive jewelry, and the friend says that ultimately she had to sell all of her expensive jewelry, just for money, of course, um, but that she did keep costume jewelry, that she would get at flea markets, that wasn't worth anything. 
cut to or dun dun. I'm like, what is the script? <laughs> cut to. <laughs> cut to a pawn shop. And Munch tosses down a picture of a bee brooch, I think, and asks if anyone tried to pawn that in the last few days. The pawn shop owner takes a look and he's like, this is cheap shit. No. And Jeffries kind of starts listing off some other costume pieces, continuing to mildly, in this man's mind, insult him. And he's like, listen, I don't deal with cheap crap or stolen goods. Jeffries, the Sagittarius, activated. She's like, yes, that's why it would stick out. So then the shopkeeper sighs and is like, two kids. So I'm like, okay, well, you, so you did know. Oh, he had a whole description. His description was like, it was like the best description I've ever received. I know, he was like, for anything. Uh, huh, no, uh, okay, yeah, there were two kids. There was one short, one tall, one had this tattoo. They looked about this. They were, fu- blah, 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 blah. I was like, one had a fade haircut. One was much shorter than the other. And he had a barbed wire hand tattoo. Oh, with a dagger and drops of blood on it. And I'm like, all of that fuss, because this guy is top 10 most bothered witnesses. Oh, he, he is as pissed as that waitress from the last episode. Oh, yeah. She, I don't, this, might, this might be her father, because they're both so angry. They are. <laughs> they're like, how dare you come in here and ask me about a crime? A crime? I know. Again, and the fact that all these people have the biggest tune about, like, crimes, it's they're like, shocking uh, to me. Uh, uh. Okay, well, there was a suspect that came in here and they look exactly like this. I'll draw you a picture. And they're like, that's all we fucking wanted. Based on his really just detailed description, Jeffries asks him if he could sit with their composite sketch artist. And he literally, his face. He's like, oh, oh my God. It's like Paul Rudd in Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so done, done. We are at like a supply yard. I get, oh. It's home medical supply delivery. And BNS are there with the original witness, the guy who walked in to the apartment in the opening scene. His name is Stan Boss. Is it Bosick or Bosnick? Uh, it's Bosick, I think. Uh, so Stan's a little, he's one of those eager beaver type witnesses where he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Golly gee, I'd love to help. Oh, he's the exact opposite from the pawn shop owner guy. He's basically like, let me know what you need me to say so you can literally hang anybody you want. He dead at, so they hand him the... A composite sketch that the cranky jeweler had to make with them, the composite sketch artist. And they ask if he saw kids matching this description around the apartment or the apartment building at the same time. Stan's like, no, but I'll say I did if it means catching them. And Olivia's like, oh my God, please don't do that. It's a good thing she's there because, you know, Stabler would have fucking let him just like he let that bartender. I can't remember. Yeah, in the Ryan Davies case. What episode is? I can't remember the real name of that episode. Oh, crap. It's yeah, I can't either. But it's our episode. It's called Murder by Morons. I think it's episode six. Anyway, if you want to hear our thoughts on Stabler being a shady little biatch, go check that episode out. Yeah. Murder by Morons. It shouldn't be hard to find because we don't have that many out right now. It's true. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, Benson grabs the paper away from him immediately. It's like, no, no, that's not what we're trying to do here. And Stan's like, well, I'm sorry. I just feel awful for the old lady. And I feel like I should have done more. If, or I was wondering if I had done the CPR correctly. It's like, They're like, okay. So then they go. Uh, so they ask him about his partner, Jimmy. And he tells them that he was down in the truck parked right in front of the building. And BNS go approach Jimmy. And hey, 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 it's our next star, Mr. Dennis O'Hare. So I wasn't familiar with him prior to American Horror Story, which came out. Was that 12 years, 13 years ago? At yeah, this point? we started watching it in college. Yeah, it was like 2011. That's I think. probably when um, Murder. Is Murder House season one? Yes. Yeah. 
His performance in the season that was Hotel. Oh, my God. So Terrifying. good. Oh, wait. I've never seen Hotel. What am I thinking of? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. He was terrifying. I'm like, wait a fucking minute. You didn't see that season. You'd probably like that one. It's the last. It's the season right before it goes to oh, shit. Okay. And then they do the season six was Roanoke. And that was de- it was the most off the rail shit I've ever seen in my life. I was like, oh, my God. What? I think I'm just still <laughs> picturing him as like the burned man from season one. But Dennis O'Hare just likes to traumatize us throughout generations. I can't believe I forgot he was in Changeling. I fucking forgot. He was the he was the doctor that I think he was the bad doctor, like, right? When she got is committed. he the doctor that like forces like the feeding tomb down her throat and I think so mm. because there aren't that many. There's a lot of people in that movie, but not that many like characters. I don't think so. I mean, there are, but you know what I mean. Where it's like there's limited. But yeah, he was the bad doctor. I think he is not from the scene that uh. Well, God, we won't no. talk about that. He's not. <laughs> that was. <yeah. laughs> That was so bad. <laughs> he is not the reason why we were both jointly traumatized by that movie. I had to literally discuss it with my parents. Have anyway, you ever watched it again? Nope. Neither have I. I'm good. Not once. <laughs> when was, it came out in 2007, I think. Seven or eight. Maybe eight, because I think we would have, was it rated R? We would have had to be 18 to get in. 2008. Oh, okay. Dennis. So Dennis is here, and that's kind of a red flag as to... Is if he's an important character or not. So they ask Jimmy, Dennis O'Hare, to look at the composite sketches. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So he looks at the sketches and he's kind of like, I have a friend up on Amsterdam Ave who does these, but not nearly as good. It feels like a trope with these two guys, Stan and Jimmy, where they're sort of like, I can't tell if it's, be- well, we know with Dennis it's not bad acting, so that's suspicious. But it's sort of like a, hey, gung-ho, 50s Gee, type yeah, of vibe. oh, yeah, man, gee, I want to help. Yeah, sure do. Let me help you. Oh, this looks like a thing that my friend up on Amsterdam Ave does. You know, like very kind of, it's a little weird. You're like, I don't know what this is. So they ask if Jimmy recognizes the two guys in the sketches. And he goes, sure do. And then cut to the streets once more. Over with munchies. So they show the sketch to a young woman leaving her apartment. And she looks, she thinks it looks like some boys in the neighborhood named Carlos and Alfonso. Did you think she was reading her lines like she was in a school play? She was like, sure do. That's Alfonso. That's Carlos. They live down the block, and I'm sure glad that I don't have to deal with them. It was just very like. Yeah, she was like, Carlos Medina. Same last name as mine. No relation. Thank God. It was. This is why I hate play acting. (laughs) It was so play acting. It sounded like she got the like a bit role in her senior play. It reminds me it reminds me of why I was terrible at auditioning for plays in high school and stuff, because I hated doing that type of line delivery like the Hey, guys, did anyone see that mailman go by? It's like big earnestness and it comes across really weird, especially in a show where no one else is acting like that. Um, they ask, they're basically, they, she, she point, they're like, where do these guys hang out? Alfonso and Carlos. And she points out the stoop where they hang out. So Munch notes that Mrs. Bernstein's synagogue is right down the street, so she would have had to pass by where the boys hang out pretty much every day. So now we cut to Munch and Jeffrey's kind of creepily watching Carlos and Alfonso acting like the kids from Sex Drive as girls walk by. They're like, what's up? What's up, ladies? What's up? What's up? Truly. It is like a it's a hilarious scene of just like it's like kids you know, like, just, it's such a, like, clunky. They're like, hey, ladies, what's up? I see you smiling at me. And the girls walk by. They're like, ah, ah, ah. Mike D and Jimmy G walked so these boys could run. 
Oh, and I'll just say this. They were treated immediately with actual suspicion because they are not white adult men the way Jimmy G. Oh, yeah. They actually look like teenage boys, too. These kids, they look like teenage boys. Mike D and Jimmy G. Looked 40. What the fuck was what the fuck was that casting? Because this is not that long after. It was totally Steve Buscemi. Hey, fellow kids. It was very like, <laughs> hi, guys. You're 40. Uh, men in black sucked. I was like, go to work. Go to your office job, you old man. In juxtaposition to these two kids who were actual teenagers, um, those two, it, that was wild casting. Absolutely, Absolutely wild. wild. But I, I guess needed, though, because we needed to hate them. And it was really easy to hate two men who were like, 27 years old apiece mm-hmm. versus these two kids so a third guy walks up to them and they do that really obvious like high five hand hug drug pass off thing that boys do uh and then munch and jeffries are like good enough and they get out and approach the kids so all three of the kids scatter munch catches the third guy oh and then he starts going through his pockets and the guy's like get out of my pockets benson and stabler are here and also helped collar like the other two so everyone's here. Oh, and Benson has her gun out. <laughs> it was so- Can we pause here to talk about Carlos's fit? His oversized leather jacket and his pork pie hat? I'm going to say the fit was fitting for, for this time period. Do you well, think- Carlos no? is cute. Carlos is so mm-hmm. cute. And I, Alfonso's, actually, Alfonso's cute both, too. They're both very cute boys. And Alfonso actually was in, he was Rudy in The Rookie. That's my main thing that I know him from. You know that Dennis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was Rudy. And I remember that because I thought Rudy was a cutie. Rudy, Rudy is a cutie. So, They're older than we are in real life. So it's okay. These boys were born like in 1984. Uh, old. Uh, Just kidding. You're not old. <laughs> Just sum it up. They catch all three of the boys and they pull out of Hip Hop's uh, pocket. It's a, oh uh, God, I kept, I kept writing in my notes a vial, but it's a fucking prescription. Yeah, like bottle. the little orange like prescription pill bottle. Yeah, prescription pill bottle, and it's a diuretic prescription, so it's just to get water out of you, basically. You would have been fucking embarrassed if you saw me trying to spell diuretic before spell check came in. It's like me when I try to spell masturbation, because that I've had to spell that like, for this well, note-taking does process. Does the T or the R come first? You can't ever remember. But it has Lenora Bernstein, Mrs. Bernstein's name, on the bottle, so that's how they know that it's these guys. Yes. BNS are in the mean interrogation room talking to Alfonso. He looks appropriately nervous. Benson suggested Alfonso and Carlos broke into Mrs. Bernstein's apartment on the hunch that she had some expensive jewelry. They tied her up, but when they didn't find anything, they decided to take their frustrations out on her. And Alfonso keeps saying you need to talk to Carlos. So Stabler does that really silly trick where he takes, so he strides over to Alfonso. He spins the chair around and then sits in it backwards and like gets up in his face. This is. This is quite the interrogation. I was like, they both get in so close to his face. Because <laughs> Benson leans in close to his face, too. And she intimates that Alfonso raped Mrs. Bernstein. And he responds very viscerally. He literally goes, that's sick. I didn't do that. Yes. He vehemently denies it to both of them. And they're finally like, fine, we'll go talk to Carlos. Oh, I also wanted to say that Alfonso was played by Rick Gonzalez, um, who Paige earlier said has like quite the impressive resume, like he was in the Dennis Quaid movie. Um, he was also on 30 episodes of the TV show Reaper. He's currently on Law & Order, cur- currently or was currently on Law & Order cr- Organized Crime. He's done like 20 episodes. 
So we're in the other interrogation room. There's apparently two mean interrogation rooms. And Carlos is in there. And actually, is this one of the mean ones or is this the nice one? No, he's in the nice interrogation room, which if oh. you knew anything about their personalities, you'd know they, they should be split. So they walk in and Carlos has his head down on the table and they're pissed about it. BNS are all mad. They're like, oh, we're disturbing your beauty sleep. And he's like, yeah, because I'm in I'm being detained. <laughs> but so it makes them mad. And they're like, just cut it out. So they make a note of Carlos's hand tattoo. He's the one with the barbed wire, with the dagger and the blood. And they say that the jeweler that they saw yesterday noticed it. And Carlos says that he and Alfonso found the jewelry and the pills on the street. Of course, that's what they all oh, say. Yeah. Stabler's like, well, that's really weird because we found your fingerprints in our apartment. He's like, oh, yeah, well, that's because I helped her with her groceries once. And he's like, yeah, on the window. Carlos is like, ooh. <laughs> He, he, at this point, looks nervous, too. So I was thinking, I'm like, oh, wow, they both look, like, super nervous. I was kind of feeling bad for both of them a little bit. I was like, oh, no, these poor kids, like, you know, at first. Olivia does, like, her little thing where she goes, listen, last time I checked, good Samaritans don't rape elderly women. Like, she, <laughs> she always acts like she's, like, gotcha. So Sabler's like, he says... <laughs> I said, yeah, and he does his classic lean in close and whisper into someone's face thing. <laughs> and he tells Carlos that they found a, quote, deposit from him on Mrs. Bernstein's body and that they have his DNA from it. And Carlos goes, again, viscerally, he goes, what did you say? But then Olivia confirms that they're going to take Alfonso and Carlos's blood to test the DNA that they found. And then Carlos suddenly becomes weirdly empowered. Oh, yeah. His, like energy shifts immediately. And he's like, Okay, go for it. Because I didn't do shit. Oh, yeah. He rolls up both of his sleeves and like presents his arms. He's like, do whatever you want. You're not going to find anything. So Carlos is played by Eugene Bird, um, another one who stays booked and busy. He has a lot of voice acting credits. He was on Bones and True Blood. I have to say, this kid's a star. Is He just has so much charisma. He is so good. Like he really, and first of all, beautiful teeth. They're gorgeous. Oh, yeah. He's great teeth. But yeah, he's really good. He is able to play this type of character where he's very cocky throughout. We'll describe it more. But it's not corny. Dun dun. Other interrogation room again. The mean one with Alfonso. BNS opened the door and it looks like Alfonso's trying to like leave or something. Or he like walks up to them. And then immediately Liv takes his shoulders and just spins him around and like puts him back in a chair. Poor Alfonso. They're I like, know. why'd you do it? Yeah, they start to berate him. They're, they're like, yeah, why'd you do it, Alfonso? So basically they're like, well, since Carlos is going to give us the DNA sample, then we know it's you. And he starts crying. And it's actually really sad, although he cannot produce a tear. But that's OK, buddy. I know it's really hard. It's still so sad, though, because he's like he's like kind of heave crying. And I guess he, he, he didn't want to give them DNA. But again, like these are kids. They don't really even know what that means, probably. Um, so they start going the, over the details of Mrs. Bernstein's attack. And then, yeah, Alfonso is crying. He's rocking and he's saying, I don't understand because I didn't do anything like that. And Benson says the only way to clear it up is if they test his DNA and through tears, he says they can. Yeah. Dun, dun. We're out in the halls and Cragen walks up and BNS just sigh dramatically. They both are like, Cragen's like, what is your problem? So they are both perturbed by how easily both of the boys gave up the DNA. And because they acted so nervous, they don't think either one of them did it. They think they did the, the B&A, but yes. he, they don't think that either of them did the rape. 
Cragen says, one of them has to be playing you. And Stabler's like, or there's a third guy. Well, no, he says a third perp, but for the title's sake. Third guy. No, it's true. <laughs> He's there's like, got to be a third guy. He takes a big dramatic breath, too. He's like, or there's a third perp. That didn't actually play, but I'm going to put it in there. It's weird. They choose weird times to do the music. Like they did like a dramatic close up on his face. But no, this one was very little music. I've noticed it's the production of these shows are very funny. Because it's like sometimes there's like music, title cards. This is the date. This is the time. And then other times they're like, you get nothing. Whatever. Dun dun. City Hall. I assume. Whenever they're like talking to the attorneys, I'm like, do you guys just live at City Hall? Yeah, like where are we? But well, we'll assume City Hall. So BNS are talking to ADA Fahey. This is her only episode. She has a tragic haircut. She, I wrote here in my notes that it's the most, it's a very 90s bob, a la the mom from the Santa Claus and Pamela Reed in Kindergarten Cup. Very tiny fringe. Stabler tells her. Fahey, that Carlos and Alfonso's DNA did not match the sample from the crime scene and that they think that there's a third guy or boy that the boys are covering for. So the ADA is like, is this a fishing expedition for John Doe number three? And Craig literally goes, yeah, because we're sex crimes, not robbery. Yeah, he was like, uh, yeah, we want the one that raped her. He says that. I'm like, eh. So the ADA is like, OK, well, the smart one got away clean. What do you want me to do? So Cragen wants a bargaining chip so that they can bargain with Carlos and Alfonso to get the name of this third. I'm so sorry. The third Third guy. So she rattles off a bunch of charges and then is like, all right, this is what I can charge them on. This is what I can we can offer them as a deal. If they were to accept the deal or get the deal and it would lead to an arrest, they would do five years instead of 15. So them's the stakes. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Interrogation room. Carlos and Alfonso are both in there with their respective lawyers. Carlos has this, like, lady lawyer, and Alfonso has this kind of, like, stiff, prim guy lawyer, just so you have a visual. Carlos says, hell no to the deal, because he's like, I'm not doing five years. And Alfonso tries to interject and say, oh, you know, Carlos, maybe we should take it. And Carlos tells him to shut up. And he goes, we're not the ones they want. It's very clear Carlos has taken charge of the ship. Carlos knows his worth. He does. Uh, it, that's where his confidence totally shifted when he understood his worth. Honestly, if Carlos was not from a poor area and had been given more privileges, he would probably be a very cutthroat CEO. Oh, for sure. Even, mm. his, even a cutthroat attorney. I think he would oh, be yeah. good at that. Honestly, he could probably be his own lawyer. But anyway, Jeffries dramatically turns to Alfonso. She's like, don't let this boy gamble away your life. And Carlos is basically like, knock yourselves out. So she goes, how old are you? 17. And Alfonso kind of like nods. And then Munch tells <laughs> Munch says, if you don't if you don't cooperate and take this deal, by the time you get out of 15 years, you'll be as old as me. <laughs> and then Alfonso's attorney goes, oh, my God, please. Let's be serious. He literally goes, let's be serious. Oh, my God. Because as we know, 17 plus 15 is 32. <laughs> Our age yeah, thanks a lot, Munch. You shut the fuck up. Oh, God. So Jeffrey concludes this meeting by saying that if SVU finds the third boy or guy on their own, the deal is off and the boys will have to do the max 15 years. Yeah. And so Carlos says, go for it. Yeah, he's not concerned. Dun dun. We're at Stephen Foster High School. So Stabler and Benson are on the hunt for more boys. Yes. They walk up to the principal and it's our friend from season two, episode four, Legacy, 
Michelle Hurst. I know. And then I was like, wait, we have a Michelle Hurd and a Michelle Hurst? We have both. That's so confusing. But yeah, Michelle Hurst is back. She She's the one that Ice-T sasses next season when she's like, oh, here are all the horrible things that happened to this little girl. And he's like, why didn't you do more? And she's like, I'm in a horrifically overworked and underpaid industry, sir. And here she is in another one. Benson asked for Carlos and Alfonso's attendance records from February 14th. And the principal is like, do you have a warrant? And Olivia is pumped and goes, we can have one by the end of the day. Good old Olivia. She's like, I can go get one. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm sorry. You want to play a game of can I get a warrant? Because I have that process memorized. You know, she's like the warrant guy on speed dial. She's like, boo, 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 it's me, Olivia. I want another warrant. And he thinks she's so hot. So he's like, sure. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure that she gets warrants like she gets Tic Tacs from that guy. Like, but it was the way that she they made sure she was the one that was like, uh, we could get a warrant by the end of the day. I swear no one else brings them up. I think it's her and good old Cragen are just like, yeah, we'll get a warrant. It's true. They have their jobs like like Jeffries is always giving the important details and like finding names. Stabler's always taking the phone calls. He's literally always taking a phone. He call. does one later. He does one later. And Olivia's like on top of the warrant. She goes, I'm literally sitting on a fucking, I could fart right now and we'd have a warrant, ma'am. So don't play with me. Let's see the attendance records. And the, and the principal literally goes, no need. She goes, good. She no. doesn't want to see this little circus <laughs> trick. So Michelle Hurst goes, well, no, they didn't skip school that day. And Benson and Stabler's face kind of go, and she goes, because they were already suspended. And they're like, yeah, we knew it because they're bad kids. They're bad boys. They're such bad boys. I did keep flashing back to boys, older boys. I did too. I was, and again, I was getting angry because I'm like, once again, these boys were treated. Maybe that was why. Maybe they're like, oh, we will not let teenage boys live. Have us again. Yeah. <laughs> We've been had once by two teenage murderers. We will not be had again. So they find out that Carlos and Alfonso um, were suspended for breaking into some lockers. And they're like, was there a third guy? She gets a little bit like awkward. And they're like, oh, yeah, looks like there was maybe. Well, they don't say this, but they're like, oh, sounds like there was a third guy. And she goes, yeah, but I'm going to need a warrant for that one. And they're like, oh, why? And she says that basically it's this boy, Emmanuel. And he used to be Carlos's best friend, but he's changed the last year. He started coming to school again. He's reforming his academics. And he's a good kid and he wouldn't do this. But he was absent on the 14th. She looks a little upset at this point. Like, she didn't really want to give him his name because he seems like a good kid. But too late. Now they have his name. So we go over to some sort of sports thing. A sports wall. Yeah, for some reason. Maybe it was because it was too far away. But they send munchies. Munchies. <laughs> They're yeah. like, we'll split this up. Emmanuel's throwing a baseball at the wall. I'm sure it's actually a thing, but I was like, ew, sports. At my elementary school, we had this like giant building that we were allowed to throw. Well, it was the gym. Um, and we were allowed to throw balls at the side of the gym. Oh, in elementary school, which is really fucked up. They used to play this game called Suicide. Oh, I remember Suicide. Yeah. Horrible name. And they would throw tennis balls at the wall. And I forget what the rules were because, you know, your girl has no hand-eye coordination. Um, never played. But one time I got beamed straight in the face by a tennis ball and I no. cried and I was the good kid. So all the teachers were like, no, not Brittany. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 memory repressed. But I'm just like, oh, 
well, yeah, I got beamed right in the eye by no, one but of those, those balls. I was like. Uh, so Munch immediately comes in hot and goes, how would you get into Mrs. Bernstein's apartment without anyone seeing you? And Emmanuel's like, um, by not being there. <laughs> so aggressive. This poor guy, he comes out looking so smart and they look so dumb the way they're just like, we know you didn't. He's like. Yeah, but I didn't, so. This is another scene where it's kind of a word salad where they're just throwing things at him. And, like, so Munch asserts that Carlos and Emmanuel used to hassle Mrs. Bernstein uh, when she would walk by them on the stoop. And Emmanuel says that he hasn't done that for over a year. Um, and But he says that Mrs. Bernstein used to give them quarters. So I guess that's why they would, like, hassle her. Um, and then Munchies both suggest it would be offensive for Mrs. Bernstein to do that, like, racist. And Emmanuel's like, uh, no. We told, but then he says we, they told her to keep the quarters. So it's like, why were you hassling her? What was the deal with the <laughs> I quarters? I, I, they, they like went into this whole thing about how she used to give them quarters, but maybe that made them mad, but maybe they gave them back. I thought maybe she gave them like, oh, go get something out of the vending machine at your school or I, I don't, I have no idea what the deal with the quarters No, that was were. weird because Emmanuel said it as though like that was the reason why they were quote hassling her. And so she would give them quarters. But then I was like, well, she's giving you quarters. It's probably semi-willingly, you know? And then, and, but then he was like, then we told her to keep them. It was so, I wrote quarters, no sense. It's irrelevant because then they ask him why he wasn't at school. And he's like, well, I had to take my sister to the methadone clinic, which she was like 14. She was 14. Yep. Ooh. I know. And so, and they're like, a likely story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all well and good, because guess what? Next scene, we fucking find out that was true. Yep. Dun, dun. Munchies tells the crew, they're all standing in the bullpen, that Emmanuel Stories checks out. So. And they're disappointed. I was like, I know you're disappointed, but you just accused this youth. And he was just taking his poor sister, who probably has substance misuse issues must yeah right she's and she's 14 that's very so one would assume that the way she was introduced to that was really tragic and they're like ugh, god so craigan and skoda walk in and they walk in together and the vibe is kind of better right now yeah hmm, maybe they've reached a you know kind of a truce a gentle truce if you will but craigan suggests that they need to twist the deal and only offer it to one of the boys in hopes of getting them to turn on each other I would never be able to be a cop because I would not. I'd be like, oh, man, that's so fucked up. I'm like, that doesn't seem fair. Is there like a fair thing we could do? <laughs> yeah. Is there like something? Hey, hey, that's an idea. Or could we do something that's like not totally fucked up? Maybe. Cragen once again states that he literally could not give a single fuck about the robbery and he just wants the rapist. So Skoda says that Carlos is a sociopath and will probably flip immediately on Alfonso. So they're like, are you saying give it to carlos and he's like well also alfonso was more of a follower but he it has a conscience and he's scared so go for him and i was like oh, okay yeah it was again very much like they were like okay so should we do carlos and he's like mm, maybe and then craigan's like yeah just go do it so we're at rikers island now where i feel like it's a little fucked up to put a 17 year old here but fuck me B&S are meeting with Alfonso and his lawyer. Alfonso now has a black eye, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and they make jokes like, oh, it looks like your time here hasn't been so fun. Like, no, he's in fucking jail. Is that joke even necessary? I don't think anyone but Victor Spicer is having fun in jail. Well, Victor Spicer, 
is a king. He can he can survive anywhere. Oh, you know that Victor does funny things in jail. And I'm saying funny because I like him, but like funny shit in jail, like break a rat's neck and stares at people while smiling, you know? And they're like, oh my God. Oh, you know that he has to like turn up the Joker crazy in order to like keep everyone at Uses bay. the like rat's blood to do like a little makeup routine. And they're like, shit, leave Spicer alone. This guy's. But Alfonso is no Victor Spicer. No, Alfonso is scared. He looks nervous. They tell him about the ADA's new terms of the deal, and that if he confesses to who the third boy is, they could likely, they, he could likely be out uh, within a year probation. So Alfonso asks if Carlos is receiving the same deal, and they say, nope, just one of you. And he pauses and innocently asks, can I think about it? And then Elliot Marie Stabler. <sighs> he turns and he looks kind of, he goes like, <laughs> looks up, and then he, takes both his fists and pounds on the table. He does. If I were Alfonso's attorney, I'd be like, Detective Stabler. For real. It was Mm. so Mm. ridiculous. And Alfonso, like, jumps and then looks down at the table, like, all, like, like, ashamed. Like, this innocent question that he asked. Now, uh, granted, I know that someone died. But it's, like, this innocent question. And now he feels- he's a teenager. He's a kid. He's a child. And you can tell by the way he's acting that he didn't fucking do this. Uh, so then, um, and so then Stabler kind of, he goes like, do you know what a big deal this is? And then he kind of calms down and he's like, okay, fine. And he tells him that he's got to think long and hard about it. It's the biggest decision of your life. Kind of like a dad. He's kind of giving him like the angry he's dad He's dadding treatment. him a yeah. little bit. Mm. And Benson reminds him that they, he's, she basically says to Alfonso, like, you know, Carlos will take this deal. And then they leave. And they're Gina-ing him. They are Gina-ing him. It's but. awful. Bullpen. BNS and Munch are discussing how Alfonso won't make a move without Carlos's go-ahead. And Stabler calls Alfonso an idiot. And again, it was giving angry dad energy. Olivia asks if there's any messages for them. And Jeffrey's like, not from Alfonso. They know he wants the deal, but he doesn't want to screw over Carlos. And then Cragen, like pops out of nowhere. And he's like, well, the DA's here and they have a taker on the deal. And I think BNS are expecting it to be Alfonso. Dun dun. We're in ADA Fahey's chambers or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. That's a huge office for like one attorney. So BNS walk in and they see Carlos with his lawyer. Stabler's like, what the fuck are you doing here? How do you get there so quickly? Um, they're like, hey, this deal was supposed to be for Alfonso. And Carlos says that Alfonso had a dilemma. And he ultimately told Carlos about the deal. And then Carlos said he had to be a really good friend and advise him not to take it. And he's smirking the whole time. Carlos is a shady ass bitch. He's like, yeah, I told him it wasn't a really good idea. So BNS are pissed, but they want the rapist. Right. Um, the ADA with a bad haircut tells him that this deal is contingent upon an arrest. Carlos is like, sweet. And then what does she, she says something like, and you need to, basically she says you need to tell us exactly what happened. She say adjudicate. I forget. Oh, it's something like that. Because then he turns to his lawyer and he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, oh, it means this. And he's like, all right, I'm going to tell you the entire story. Yes. Beginning to end. So Carlos says that on Monday, he and Alfonso broke into Mrs. Bernstein's apartment through the window. Carlos says Alfonso was very reluctant and that Carlos basically had to force him to go in. Benson interrupts. What about the other guy? But Carlos ignores her, literally doesn't even pay attention to that. When he realized Mrs. Bernstein didn't have anything of value, they trashed the apartment. He goes, I taught that bitch. And I'm like, that is a very 17-year-old thing to say. Carlos says the cuckoo clock in the apartment went off and it scared Alfonso and he almost filled his drawers. So he ran out of the apartment. Alfonso ran out of the apartment through the front door. 
Benson interrupts again and asks how many times the clock went off. Carla says once. And Benson turns to Stabler and says once on the half hour. So it was 930. Yes. Um, and I love when they realize the moment when they realize that they have the wrong people. It's always like, fuck. I know. I love when they're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Carla says that he went after Alfonso and Stabler says, leaving the third guy alone with Mrs. Bernstein. And Carlo gets this smile on his face. He says, I didn't leave anybody. Benson walks up to him. <laughs> she puts her pelvis in his face. <laughs> <laughs> they are all about just like invading other people's spaces. <laughs> she tells him that if he jerks them around, then he jerks this deal right off the table. Carlos scoffs and continues. He says that he dragged Alfonso back up to the apartment, but when they got to the top of the stairs, they saw a white guy in a beige uniform standing at the open apartment door. Stabler goes, so you're telling me there was never a third guy with you? Literally, no one said that to you. Like, I know that there was, like, a person semen, but, like, the whole time he's like, and there was a third guy. And then the third guy was there, and the third guy said, I'm going to go in and rape her, right? Like, that's what the third guy did. The third guy. Because there's got to be a third guy, because we found DNA evidence that doesn't match his YouTube guys, so there's got to be a third guy. And Alfonso and Carlos the whole time has been like, there is no third guy. There was, but he's not with us, making him a single guy. So Carlos keeps going because he's a master of tuning out. And he says that he saw the man that they saw was holding a clipboard and he had a jumps The jumpsuit he had on had a logo on it. And they're kind of like, oh. Mm. And he says that the man walked in through the door and that when he did, Alfonso started saying they had to get the fuck out because they trashed the place um, and robbed her, I guess, obviously. So Stabler's like, oh, you're saying the delivery man raped her. And Carlos smiles. It's kind of chilling because he's both very likable but also very he's scary here and there you kind of see his like scariness pop out and he smiles here and he goes yeah how sick is that it was really it's a it's funny he's just like smiling he's such a good actor i'm shocked he did i mean like i said he stays booked and busy and i was wondering because they really didn't explicitly say there wasn't a third guy um in the lines but it's almost like carlos was telling them not was telling Alfonso not to like say that because if I were Alfonso I'd have been like there was no third fucking person and none of us raped her like what are you talking about but like they wouldn't say it it was weird they were like I think Carlos knew that the less that the detectives knew leading up to him giving them information the more bargaining power he had he's really smart he's a very smart yeah because even when Alfonso tried to he was like shut up Alfonso we're not the one they want he said it kind of like that like sort of like I know who it is. They were implying that they know who it is. Carlos has always implied that he knew what it was without really implying that they had, that he knew who it was. Right. Interesting. So done, done. Bullpen. Jeffries is also surprised that it was delivery man. She goes, the delivery man. (laughs) And Munch isn't buying it. Yeah. Munch thinks that Carlos is lying, but Olivia confirms that Carlos' description of Stan's uniform was very accurate. Stabler asserts that there were a lot of holes in Stan's story. Such as, apparently, he entered the building at 9.30 a.m., but he didn't call 911 for 20 minutes or 23 minutes. Why are we just hearing about this squad? So Cragen is very Cragen here and goes, we are talking about the person who called 911 and stayed while the EMTs tried to resuscitate her. I feel like he's always aghast. He never wants them to be right. So Scotty Scodes is here and he suggests that perhaps... He has hero syndrome, just like people who start fires and then put him out just for the accolades. And Munch is like, or Carlos turns the real hero into the patsy schmuck syndrome. Munch, I am realizing, is very rarely helpful. 
He's yeah. either not helpful or the most helpful. He doesn't really have. There's no like middle of the situation for Munch. This these episodes would be so short if we cut out everyone's random like thoughts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it'd be funny if I had any editing skills. I would do that. I'd take an episode and just cut out like the fodder and include only details that were relevant. I just see how long the episode. It'd be like five are. minutes. We'd be like, oh, oh, we're done. I know our our recaps would only be half an hour for sure. Cragen tells them that in terms of Stan, they need to tread lightly because he's become a local hero and we don't want another Richard Jewell on our hands. That was a sad story. Everyone look up Richard Jewell. It's pretty fucked oh, up. That is, that is super upsetting. So two seconds later, Jeffries tells BNS that she ran Stan's background check and found out that he had priors for robberies, but no sexual assaults that had been reported. So Benson surmises that if Stan had sexually assaulted anyone, he probably had loose lips with a cellmate. And Monique says he bunked with a guy named Jonathan Schmidt. While he was yes. in jail. Schmidt has been released. Oh, just one other thing to note. Alfonso called the station and he wants the deal desperately. And BNS are sad. Oh, But it's yeah. too late. Mm. Oh, I know. It's too, yeah. Mm. Sorry. What a dum-dum. Anyway. Mm. Dun-dun. We're here with Schmidt. And Schmidt says that Stan likes to talk too much. Yep. He's a big talker and bride constantly about sexual conquests. Um, they don't really, again, it was another thing where they were like, Stan ever talked about sexual conquest? And the guy was like, Stan talked a lot. They're like, about sexual conquest? He goes, we called him Stan the man. And I'm like, oh, God, that thing was ever. Answer the question. Answer the question. But yeah, he says that the other inmates used to, he would, Stan was like the joke of the cell block because he would constantly brag about like fucking women. And they all joked and called him Stan the man. So Smith says that Stan actually called him a few weeks ago. <laughs> that, wouldn't that be annoying? <laughs> like, Oh, this sounds so irritating. It sounds so Schmidt annoying. doesn't even like him. Right. So apparently when Stan called him when he found out that Schmidt had been released too, and he called him just to brag about this cushy new job he had delivering medical supplies to people and that he was boffing half the women on the route. <laughs> I love the word boff. Benson and Stabler are like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds gross because it is. And Stabler, of yes. course, because he always has to make sure that what people are saying to him is correct. He goes, he called you and said he's been having sex with the women on his route. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Stabler. And Schmidt says that if you let Stan tell it, no woman could resist him. <laughs> that would be mm. so annoying, though. You get out of jail. You're like, oh, God, I'm finally away from my annoying cellmate, that fucking guy. Starting my new life. Mm. I, he cares about recycling now. And then you get a call from fucking Stan just to talk about more <laughs> and boffing. And he's just like, yeah, I've got a new job. And I'm boning all the women on my route. And Schmidt's just like cooking like a pot of mac and cheese. And he's like, oh, my God. Shut up. So fucking weird. So he would just, just run around bragging about fucking people in jail. And then once he finds out that people are out of jail, he calls them to tell them about more fucking. He's like, so, so terrible. <laughs> done, done. We're at Jimmy's apartment. Jimmy Walp stands partner. So Munchies approaches Jimmy outside of his apartment and he's on his way to work. They tell him that they hear this job. It's extra enjoyable for Stan. And he kind of like is looking at being at them and goes oh yeah like stan the man and munch says oh well we hear he's sleeping with half the woman on the route and jimmy's like really jeffrey tells him if he knows anything he needs to tell them the truth and jimmy's like oh well, what do you want to know and munch is like well hey you spend all that time driving around you must talk a lot sex must come up and jimmy's like oh yeah he's very excited with all of his answers but they don't necessarily seem to match the tone of the question being asked 
Yeah, very, it's strange reactions. So Jimmy says, yeah, they asked Jimmy if he knows anything about Stan bragging about boffing the women on his <laughs> route. Jimmy says, oh, yeah, all the time. And then Munch says, what about Mrs. Bernstein? And right then, Jimmy gets super uncomfortable and goes, nope, I'm going to go pick up a newspaper. And instead of clocking how weird this whole interaction was, they're like, all right, let's go talk to Stan. They're like, they do agree that he's hiding something, but yes. they're like, he's hiding something. Let's go talk to Stan. Let's go talk to Stan. Dun dun, mean interrogation room. We enter in on Stan admitting that he's never boffed any of the women on his routes. Benson's like, that's not what we heard. And Stan says that he's been known to exaggerate and or lie. They're like, yeah, we know you lie. You lied on your job application. And he's like, well, sure, they wouldn't have hired me. I know they have to call it out, but it's sort of like, he was like, well, yeah, because he said, I'm not an idiot. They wouldn't have hired me. (laughs) (laughs) He was arrested for robbery. No one's going to hire him to deliver items. So Stabler accuses him outright here of raping Mrs. Bernstein. And he's like, I never touched her. And they're like, well, what about the CPR? Turns out he never actually gave her CPR. And Olivia's like, well, we have witnesses. And he's like, well, they didn't see me. They probably saw Jimmy. And now we're like, oh, Stan explains that he's the only person authorized to actually enter these buildings when they're making the deliveries or the drop offs. And Jimmy's only supposed to like load the trucks and I guess be like support for him in on the rides. But if there was ever a building that didn't have an elevator, Stan non-compliantly would let Jimmy take the deliveries up instead because apparently he has a bad back. <laughs> More like Stan the old man. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny that Jimmy called him Stan the Man, too. He was like, oh, yeah, Stan the Man. And I'm like, to Stan? I, it would be so on brand for Stan to have heard that, like, joke, that name he was being called in jail, think it was a cool name, and then run around telling everyone, like, you know, in jail, they called me Stan the Man. Oh, I'm sure he did. And they were all like, sure, they did, Stan. Okay, mm-hmm. Stan. Sure, Stan. So when Jimmy was taking too long in Mrs. Bernstein's apartment or for Mrs. Bernstein's delivery, Stan went to check on him and he found Mrs. Bernstein dead, just like we saw in the opening scene. And then he found Jimmy in the bathroom having basically having a panic attack. And they were like, why was he panicking? (laughs) Stan fairly goes, well, I figured he just walked in and when I walked in and he couldn't handle it. Yeah, which I thought was fair. I did too. I was like, I mean, and again, like at this point, we're learning that Jimmy's kind of off in some way. So I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't blame him for having like that type of reaction. Stan says he decided to make the report because it seemed like a win-win. Jimmy didn't have to deal with the trauma of the situation. He was clearly not able to handle it. Stan got to keep his job because he would have gotten in trouble for having a bad back. And then he gets his name in the papers. I thought it was weird that he was like, and I get my name in the papers. And like, you don't know that. What if they just didn't think that was interesting? I know. I didn't. When I found out this made the papers, I was surprised because I think I missed it on my first watch. And I was like, oh, ew, they reported on this. She died. It's not that it's not that exciting of a story. It's kind of depressing. You didn't save her. No. You found her. So he promises he's not lying this time. And Benson says that they'll put Jimmy and Stan in a lineup for the witnesses. Obviously, Alfonso and Carlos to identify them. Done, done. It's lineup time, and they bring in a bunch of old white guys in for a lineup and ask Carlos if he recognizes anyone. Anyone? Carlos is immediately furious. He's like, what? He's like, I told 
told you exactly what this person looked like. He's not here. You guys are messing with me. He basically reads them the riot act and they're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. So it's not Stan, apparently. They're like, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah, he's like yelling at them. It's like taking them to task. It's like it's almost like you're calling the manager, like how mad he is. So Cragen tells the first round of lineup boys to leave. And Carlos is still ranting as the second crew walks in. He's like, I told you exactly what it looked like. He's not even in there. Now you're trying to screw... And then he cuts off because as soon as he says that, Jimmy walks into the room and he goes, that's him immediately. And Sabler's like, which one? And Carlos goes, number one, the Gilligan's Island looking dude. I remember him because of that long, dopey face. <laughs> this is the funniest Carlos been in like, I think the moment where I was like, oh my God, this guy should have more work. He's so funny. So it was Jimmy. It was. And I'm surprised they didn't give, they gave Stan the number three in the lineup, but they gave Jimmy number one. And I'm like, they should have given Jimmy number three because it's the third guy. Duh. Duh. But they didn't think he was the third guy. No. And Carlos is way smarter than anyone in this precinct. So he pieces out and he has his deal. He's happy as long as it leads to an arrest. I would be kind of offended if I were Dennis O'Hare. This would be the hardest part about being an actor for me is the way you're described in the scripts. Because if you've seen Dennis O'Hare, he kind of does have a Gilligan's Island looking face. Zach Braff has talked about on his podcast when Bill Lawrence would write for Scrubs or any of the other writers. Occasionally they would make like they'd make digs at the characters looks, but the characters looks are the actors. So like sometimes they'd be making fun of things that they're like. Like, they'd make fun of Zach's nose, and Zach's like, I mean, I am actually insecure about my nose, so it was kind of like, thanks, Bill. Gotta be hard, you know? It's gotta be like, okay, I get it. Dun, dun. Bullpen. Munch tells BNFs that they received the final autopsy report, and it showed that Mrs. Bernstein had two separate heart attacks. Um, the initial one occurred during the robbery, and the second one occurred after, or I guess during the rape. And Munch says that the first heart attack definitely contributed to the second one because she may have survived the second one if the first hadn't happened. Yeah, so yeah, they're both kind of devastated that they let Carlos go because it's clearly he was the one who instigated the whole robbery. Yeah, so I wrote that too. I was like, I guess they would have been charged with manslaughter regardless based on this report. Dun dun, interrogation room. B and S are in there with Jimmy. I will preface this scene. I kind of like did a summary of notes on what they talked about, but the scene itself is very... It's like ping pong kind mm -hmm. of, but the whole time Jimmy's very, his responses are kind of eager and halting. It's like he's trying to answer, they're asking questions and he doesn't quite understand the questions, but he wants to answer them the best he can. Yes. Um, so they ask first and foremost if Jimmy understands his rights and he says yes, he signs off on the paper that they give you to do that. So Jimmy tells them that he brought the tanks up and the door was open, but not all the way. So he went in and he says it looked messy inside. And this is kind of where they're asking questions. They're like, well, how did it look? And he's like, oh, it, it looked normal. And they're like, but what was happening in it? And he is like, it looked messy. So he, he's trying to answer, but he doesn't quite understand. the. It doesn't appear as though he totally understands what they're saying. So then he says he's going to help and he calls her name, but there's no answer. And he goes looking for her and he found her in the bedroom on the bed. So then they start asking the question, what was her condition when you saw her on the bed? And this is really confusing for him. Um, they asked this a few different ways, and he finally was like, oh, well, she looked really nice. And they kind of are like, what? And he's like, well, she was wearing her nightie. 
And Olivia just does this look where she just looks deeply disturbed. Oh, I hate when men say words like nighty and panty. Oh, yeah. Ugh, it's just like, stop. Like, stop adding e onto the end of things. He then says, oh, well, she looked happy to see me. Um, and Stabler's like, well, is that when you tied her up? And he's like, well, I didn't do that. And Stabler's like, I think you did. And then you raped her. And Olivia kind of then, you know how they were nice at the beginning? Now they are starting to come in hot. And Olivia's like, you raped her and you killed her. Yeah, he's like, no. I was like, oh, God, it must have been so sad because I bet Mrs. Bernstein was happy to see him at first because she thought he was going to help. Yeah. Ugh. So Cragen's office, dun dun. Cragen calls in. (laughs) This fucking scene. (laughs) Cragen calls in Skoda and uh, Stabler, Benson and ADA Fahey are all in his office already when Skoda walks in. Cragen's face, he looks annoyed, but also he's kind of smirking, sort of like he's pleased. He's like ready to rip Skoda a new asshole. So Cragen asks if Skoda wrote up an evaluation on Jimmy. And Skoda says, no, I didn't actually. And Stabler says, oh, really? Because Jimmy's attorney says you did. And Fahey says that this is bad because it means that his lawyer could potentially prove that Jimmy didn't understand his rights. And we're like, wait, what? And Skoda goes, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) He says, I didn't write an evaluation. Instead, he apparently left a sticky note on Cragen's desk next to Jimmy's DD-5. And a DD-5 is apparently a case management system. It's like a note, like a digital notepad that they use to follow up on complaints or something. And Cragen says, what did the note say? And apparently Skoda wrote, retarded question mark on it yes now throughout the rest of the episode they're going to use that word a lot i'm going to sub in developmental disability but just know whenever i say that that's not what they're saying yeah well this is this is 20 years ago so that was a i believe a medical term at the time we're from new england so it wasn't really used medically here skoda says the note should have never left the office and Fahey's like well it did and that there's now going to be a hearing on monday uh, and that they have to work on refuting Jimmy's potential intellectual disabilities if they want to convict him for this. How did this note leave the office? So my assumption is that he left the sticky on Cragen's office near like a, like a file. And that when they were preparing the file, because you have to give, you have to enter things into discovery and then give it to the defense. I feel like someone picked it up and put it in the file thinking, oh, because it's next to the folder. Imagine the defense opening it up and there's a little sticky in there that just says developmental disabilities question mark. They're like, score, you fucking idiots. I get it. OK, because I wrote that. I was like, this seems like I forgot that they did keep saying that word discovery. Maybe an assistant or something picked it up or like it was like little Briscoe and he picked it up and saw the note and like it was totally Briscoe. It. it was totally little Briscoe. That's why we probably never see him again. Oh, Skoda probably killed him. Also, I think, I mean, I know that back then the, that word wasn't a, like a, considered like a slur or an inappropriate word to use. But I still feel like even if you use the correct term today, it would still be kind of unprofessional to just write developmental disabilities question mark and leave it on a little post-it note. Yeah, that's not something I feel like it was just like really. I just left it next to the file for anyone to find. It should have never left the office. I'm like. I know. And that was, well, th- thank you for re-explaining the, the um, discovery part, because I was sitting here being like, okay, now I want to investigate who the fuck took the sticky note. Picked it up and was like, huh, this should go in. 
I had the theory that Skoda had this thought that perhaps Jimmy has a developmental disability and was like, I should tell the squad, but they're never going to listen to me. So I'm going to slip it into the defense and let them let them know. Oh, and you could be right about that because from here on out, um, now that we've because this is the first official you get inklings that something is quote unquote off with Jimmy other than that he probably committed a crime. Um, but you're like, you're kind of like, okay, what is this? Is he just like a really awkward guy? So now that's Skoda doing this is establishing the storyline that Jimmy has developmental disabilities. And um, maybe you're right, because then Skoda is a strong advocate for that the whole time, the rest of the time. So it's like, maybe he was doing that because he wanted to make sure Jimmy didn't go to jail. Kragen's like, we need to prove he doesn't have one. So you guys need to start digging to prove that he doesn't have one. And I was like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Done, done. Bullpen. The gang is discussing different things regarding Jimmy's potential diagnosis. Uh, so Jeffrey says that Jimmy doesn't have an IQ test on file. And then it may have that he may have slipped through the cracks as a kid, which is why he doesn't have one. Benson says that everyone gets those. And I'm like, I don't know if I ever got I don't one. think I have an IQ test. Those are expensive. I don't want to I don't want to see one either. I've taken a mini one. They're long. And there's math. I don't need involved. an IQ test to tell me that I'm of middling <laughs> of middling <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> I think I'd get it back and be like, nothing special, but <laughs> I like to call my intelligence wandering. It waxes and it wanes. Jimmy apparently flunked out of most of his school um, and he had a hard time maintaining employment. Stabler says that he's still not sold on all this because Jimmy was capable of living independently without assistance. And Benson agrees that that is no easy feat. A random note, I saw Cassidy's football on Munch's desk. That was sweet. Oh, Detective Porter. Hooray. Little toys. I was like, oh, that's sweet. Good. Done, done. We're back at Jimmy's apartment. The first BNS are outside talking to Jimmy's landlord, who says that he would have never expected the cops to come asking about Jimmy. He's like, are you sure you're not here for the guy in Unit 2? No. Not and we today. don't want any details on him. The guy in Unit 2 is just brushing doll heads, and he's like, not today. Not today. <laughs> ah. um, so he opens the apartment for them. And then Benson says, thanks, we'll lock it up when we leave. But then the guy stays. Just stands there. He's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was such a random. It's like when someone's like, We'll see you later. And you just stand there smiling like, yeah, I'm coming to dinner with you guys. Sorry. Change the <laughs> reservation. So Jimmy's apartment's a bit of a wreck. Books everywhere. Just piles of books. It's my nightmare, personally. I'm like, oh, my God. And they're kind of doing a detective porter because they have a box to stick his shit. Yes, they are. I know. Take this book and this book. Um, they notice he has books like on every topic, like ranging from Danielle Steele novels to books on thermodynamics. Yeah, and Stabler thinks this is all very sus for an intellectual disability diagnosis because he who reads who reads those types of books and that much. And the landlord's like, oh, he's a big reader every day. He's outside reading the newspaper. And I guess they have this funny bit where the landlord's like, tell me the good news, Jim. And he's like, I'll tell you when I find it. Uh, 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 you know, like white guy humor. Yeah, but it's a kind of an important detail because like that's that's the type of joke that I feel like, you know. Certain men of, of well-read status would make. So Benson finds a drawer full of receipts and shows that Jimmy only pays for things in cash and apparently doesn't have a credit card. Liv also notes no checkbook, no diary. Stabler notes there's a lot of porn. Yes. All of this goes in the box. 
Then he, (laughs) for no reason other than the next scene, opens the stove. He's like, where's the kitchen? And which was rude because he should know damn well. that The kitchen was like right there, too. He's like, where where is the kitchen? Of course, some asshole who probably has a separate kitchen would ask in a Manhattan apartment, where's the kitchen? You know damn well that you're standing right in front of the kitchen. You're in it, you butthead. Like the person usually sleeps next to the oven, sir. So then he opens the stove and he sees that there's a bunch of books and papers shoved in there. Ugh, I hope it's unplugged. And the landlord's like, well, he does eat at Willie's Diner religiously. And he comments that Jimmy is so strict about this that one time this place like shut down for a week because of health concerns. Ew. And he's like, I swear he lost 10 pounds. Concerning. But here we go to Willie's Diner. If I didn't eat for a week, my body would be like, that's fine. I'd lose half a pound. Oh, I would. My body would panic store weight and be like, that's cool. We'll just take all of the fat that already exists and make it more fat. I'd be like, how do you do that? Dun dun. Lily's Diner. Um, BNFs are talking to you, a very classic New York City waitress. Well, waitress in general, actually. Waitress from the 90s. Red hair, rough voice, pink dress with a white collar. Her name's probably Doris. Yeah, probably Doris. She probably's got like a son named Ricky. She says that Jimmy is there every single day, twice a day, sometimes three times a day on weekends, brunch. He is very friendly, and he apparently talks to everyone who sits near him. He never comes in with anybody, doesn't have any friends that she notices. They ask if Jimmy, and they say this, quote, seemed slow. And the waitress herself is not the sharpest tool in the shed because she thinks that they're asking if he's just physically slow yeah (laughs) she's like yeah it takes him forever to read the menu and then he always gets the special then she wanders off and olivia says to stabler that it's interesting that not one single person seems to have picked up on him having developmental disabilities and then stabler who i thought was on the other side of this goes but they all had limited contact with him yeah i don't know what side of the fence elliot's on oh he he zigs and zags this one because remember yeah. he wanted it to be Alfonso and Carlos but then they felt bad after Alfonso was crying and he's like well I don't know I don't think they did it and then same with this they're like at first he's like oh I don't believe this guy is you know intellectually disabled look how many books he has but then here he's like well they didn't actually talk to him for that long and I'm like Jekyll Jekyll Hyde Jekyll Hyde Hyde Jekyll Hyde Jekyll 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 Hyde Jekyll Hyde Hyde Jekyll <laughs> the worst and best episode of Arthur to date uh dun dun so now they didn't I don't think they announced this before they decided to go, but they, now they're at Jimmy's mom's house. Sylvia. Sylvia Walp. Mm. Sylvia is, uh, she seems sad, dazed, tired, scared. Like maybe she took too many Xanaxes or something? Yeah, she's a walking dead. She's literally a zombie. It, she's got yeah. like three little rollers in her hair <laughs> that she looks yeah. like she might have forgotten about, like. Her whole house is green, actually. I noticed that. Like, everything, she's wearing green. The rollers are green. It's all green. So Sylvia explains that Jimmy was a very good kid. He was a six of her seven children. And she feels like he probably didn't get enough attention growing up. Uh, but she was tired by the time she had him because of all the kids. And Stabler agrees and says that it's hard to give each kid the attention that they deserve sometimes. And I'm like, well, wouldn't you know? Elizabeth Stabler comes to mind. Elliot. Mm. It's Elliot's like, I know how hard it is for me and my three kids. So that Stabler immediately is on her side. He's like, it's very hard to care for. It is so hard to have too many children. One child that you just don't care about. Betson asks why Jimmy missed so much school. And Sylvia says that he was mostly an angel, but he had bad days. 
And when he had those bad days, she had to keep him home from school. And this is said not it's not delivered like she's being abusive and like keeping him home from school because that's actually a trademark of abusive parents to do stuff like that. It sounds more like the school insisted that she had to keep him home when he would have, quote, bad days. Yeah, it's like he clearly needed like an IEP or some sort of specialist at school to help him out. And instead they're like, yeah, you need to stay home and watch TV. Yeah, we don't feel like act acting out. Exactly. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that because you're not listening to her say it. Um, But it's very much clear that she didn't like abuse him, merely neglected him. So Stabler's like, oh, so how come he was never tested? And she's like, tested for what? And they're like, um, um, learning disabilities. And she's like, oh, no, Jimmy's not the R word. <laughs> she's like, I would know. Yeah. I'm like, would you, bitch? What happened to being too tired to parent him? So then Stabler's like, well, when was the last time you spoke with him? And she's like, hmm. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. Might have been the day he left home. And Livy's like, when he was 18? Yeah, she, she literally goes, when he was 18. <laughs> and she gets kind of defensive here. And I was like, how dare you? She's like, I probably wasn't the best mother, but raising seven kids on my own was just too much. But for context, I look up Dennis O'Hare's age at the time of this episode. So he was supposed to be 38. So that would mean that this woman hadn't talked to her son in like 20, 20 years. years. And she's just like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, OK, well, at that point, all your kids were out of the house because he was the second youngest. I, you know what, it is so of this generation of older people to act like they don't know how to use a phone. So on a parking note, um, they ask if Jimmy had any luck with friends or girlfriends, and she literally just goes, eh. I wanted to slap her. Out of every person we've met in this episode who has done, quote unquote, bad things, she's the one I want to bitch slap. Dun dun. Now we're at the bullpen again. Munch says that they finally tested Jimmy's IQ and it came back at a 68, which is just under the cutoff. So he is technically um, intellectually disabled. Munch picks up one of the porn tapes. On the back of the cover is a picture of a woman. She's on a bed. She's in a pink negligee and she's tied to the bed with her hands above her head. And she looks exactly how Mrs. Bernstein looked at the beginning of the episode. So at this exact moment, Cragen and Scotty Scodes walk up and Olivia shows them the porn. And Skoda looks at it and immediately surmises that Jimmy walked into the bedroom, saw basically this picture come to life, and it excited him. And it's even possible that he thought that what he did next he was supposed to do based on what he saw in the video. Yeah. Which Cragen, that makes Cragen mad. Um, I believe he feels that it's a reach. Uh, and then Skoda says that Jimmy should be incarcerated regardless, but the question is where. So this is where he starts to really, you know, again, double down on the. Like, he shouldn't be going to jail. Um, and then Skoda confirms that it's very difficult for people of lower intellectual abilities to advocate and defend for themselves in criminal cases because they're people pleasers. He gave a whole list of compelling evidence. And that is 100% true. Yeah. What he says there, I can confirm. Kraken is not phased by any of this upsetting news. He's like, well, are you, are you done? Jimmy went his entire life without being diagnosed. Isn't this convenient? And Skoda, a cool-headed Capricorn, goes, well, I find it tragic. And Cragen insists that Jimmy knows what he did was wrong and they aren't going to lose his statement. Dun, dun. So now we're in Supreme Court. Um, I just want to call this out real quick. It is Monday, February 21st, 2000. Happy birthday, Mom. 
Huh? Happy birthday, Paula. 40th birthday. Or no, 41st birthday. Sorry. That was my mother's 41st birthday. This is a small sliver of law for us. Tiny touch of law. Stabler is on the stand, and we walk in on him being cross-examined by ADA Fahey, and we're kind of mid-sentence with him. He says that basically he believes that Jimmy, or they did not find any evidence to conclude or confirm that Jimmy is actually intellectually disabled, and so he doesn't believe that he is. Jimmy's attorney challenges Stabler's submission of Jimmy's books as evidence and asks if Stabler understands the lengths the lengths that mentally challenged individuals will go through in order to appear of, quote, normal intelligence. So apparently, according to the script, quote, they will wear watches when they can't tell time, pretend to read books that they can't read, um, mimic sentences that other people have said. They've heard, yeah. Yeah, in order to blend in with, quote, normal people. Cragen is shaking his head in the background like, mm, mm. no, 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 mm, no, no. I don't want it to be true because Skoda said it. He asks, uh, so the, this defense attorney, did you get this guy's name? I Actually, bad. I never. I just call him Jimmy's lawyer. I did too. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that you didn't have to, at the end of this whole thing, go, uh, actually, that guy's name was. His name's Tim. Yeah. Jimmy's lawyer asked if Stabler ever asked Jimmy to read anything out loud while Jimmy was in custody. And Stabler says there wasn't any need to. And I'm like, that's true. It's true. The attorney asks if Stabler asked Jimmy to read over his rights before signing off on the confession. Stabler says yes, and that he also read Jimmy his rights, too. So now, cut to Jimmy is on the stand, and his attorney asks if he remembers speaking to Stabler on March 21st. LOL. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait a fucking minute. I am to dates and time as you are to items. That made me so angry. It's February. Like, if I'm not allowed to make mistakes on my reports at my job writers for a network television show shouldn't be able to either there should be thousands of people looking at that being like okay well the title cards are gonna all say february so let's say february right there's a script supervisor or whatever the fuck ridiculous Uh, and editors they didn't catch that either Uh, Mm. uh the attorney then asks if jimmy was read his miranda rights he asked jimmy if he was read his miranda rights and did he understand them jimmy says yes he repeats back the line, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And he says it very excited and kind of proud. Oh, I've started calling him Trask in the notes. So maybe his name is Trask. Yes. Yes, it is. It's attorney Trask. That's what it is. Sorry, I was I called him Jimmy's lawyer. And then all of a sudden it starts saying Trask in my notes. Attorney Trask says, very good. And then he gently, kind of respectfully, I think, asked Jimmy if he understands what that statement that he just repeated means. So Jimmy pauses and he looks very nervous and he says, those are your rights. And then the attorney says, but can you explain them? And then Jimmy goes, I just did. Attorney Trask then asks Jimmy what a court of law is. He can't answer. He asks what the point of a judge is. Jimmy can't answer and he, I think he points at the judge. Yeah, he points at the judge. Yeah, and, but he looks embarrassed. He can tell he's not answering these correctly. ADA Faye, he gets up and she asks Jimmy if he knows why he's here today. Jimmy gets excited because, of course, he's just embar- he's been embarrassed by not knowing how to answer those questions. He gets very excited. He goes, yes, it's because of Mrs. Bernstein. And his lawyer objects and says that this is not what that hearing is about. This hearing is to see if Jimmy has intellectual disabilities. Fahey asks Jimmy if he thinks that he himself is mentally retarded. Jimmy says no. So his attorney submits. I forget what this is called, but he submits a certain. It's, it's not an objection. It's like a certain thing. Um, 
And he submits that mentally disabled people often deny their disabilities when they're asked. And right then, Jimmy stands up and he kind of calmly but firmly, but like, you know, again, flustered, goes, I am not retarded. And he points at him. And it's very, it's like a sad thing where kind of the attorney feels sort of like he needs to like stop, you know? And be- yeah, because he doesn't want to upset his client. Right. Or- and degrade him, you know. And so um, then Fahey asks Jimmy if he can prove it. And Jimmy says, I can tell you what I did to Mrs. Bernstein. So Jimmy starts to describe what happened. And he says he went into the room and Mrs. Bernstein had her hands tied above her head. And he demonstrates. And he says she was moaning. And he goes, and it was so, so exciting. And Trask is like, oh, my God, please shut the fuck up. And the judge is like, I want to hear what he has to say, but it is off the record. So Jimmy goes on and he's like, he knew what she wanted because he had seen it in the videos, but he'd never done it. And he's like, I got on top of her and it felt really good. And he tried to kiss her, but that's when he could see something was wrong. And he's like, well, then I tried to do CPR. And he's like, but I guess I did that wrong, too. And so then he got scared and he didn't know how to explain what happened. So he hid in the bathroom and he was hiding when Stan came in and said that Mrs. Bernstein was dead. And Skoda at this point has time to give Craig and a, are you happy now? Look, everyone in the court's just like appalled because it's really sad. You can kind of tell through this whole story. He knows he did something wrong, but only when because of the outcome, not. Yes. Jimmy starts crying. He's not. He is excited and kind of proud when he's talking about what he believes was consensual sex. But then when he gets to the part where she's died or she started to have problems that he could tell and then when stan told her told him that she died that's when he gets upset and he starts to cry on the stand he thinks it seems he thinks he did the sex act wrong and he seems to think that perhaps because of that she died she passed yeah dun dun skoda catches up to craigan at the station and says that they should meet regarding a recommendation to the court um and i did think i mean i kind of thought this was a little bit because Skoda's got to know that Craig is I know he's, it's like you're doing your job, but you've got to know that Craig is pissed at you right now. Craig is pissed. He's, he's pissed. And he asks, basically, he says, like, do what you want. I don't care. I'll just sign the paper. And Skoda's like, basically, like, why are you being such a crabby crab? What's your problem? Uh, and Craig says, essentially, that he doesn't believe that Jimmy didn't know what he was doing uh, was wrong and that he was simply remorseful for getting caught. And Skoda disagrees. He says that Jimmy was clearly devastated and that he wouldn't feel right sending someone like Jimmy to prison. I disagree with Craig in here because he goes, he showed remorse, which means he knew what he was doing was wrong. And I'm like, he shows remorse because he realized after he did something wrong. Yes. And Skoda's like, listen, this guy is just a guy with a developmental disability who made a bad mistake. And Craig and bitch Craig and goes, fine, whatever. You can put him in some quiet place where he gets to read Winnie the Pooh and drink hot chocolate while Mrs. Bernstein, you remember her? She gets a headstone. I'm like, bitch, have you ever been to a secure psychiatric unit? It fucking sucks, you fucking idiot. Seriously. Dun dun. <sighs> so I don't like cry. I, cr- I cried watching this scene. I didn't cry on my first watch and I rewatched it. And I kind of remembered the scene being like, oh, this kind of sucks. I started to cry. This scene fucking sucks. So I believe what they, they arrive at probably a secure psychiatric unit. Skoda is escorting Jimmy out of the van um, in front of the facility. And he's explained to Jimmy that he's going to meet with a new doctor who's going to discuss kind of next steps for him. Jimmy looks super nervous and he asks if Skoda's going to stay with him. And Skoda says, mm. for a little while, yeah. 
But it kind of sounds like probably not that long because you can tell Skoda feels really bad. Yeah. And seems kind of worried. Jimmy looks very scared. So they enter the facility and walk into, I believe, what's supposed to be like the day room. And there's a bunch of other men in there. These men are displaying various symptoms of mental illness and intellectual disabilities. Um, I hated this scene. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy looks scared and he turns to Skoda with his mouth open. Um, And then just then, a man with a stutter and an apparent tick approaches them and he begins trying to speak and communicate with Jimmy. Um, But it's very, it's exaggerated behavior um and it scares jimmy and he starts to cry and shake his head and say no 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 and that's where the scene cuts out executive producer dick wolf i have a lot of thoughts about this scene first of all i do have a huge issue with them using people who either have a mental illness or an intellectual disability as a scare tactic Mm -hmm. they're like look how fucking scary it is with all these people all these scary people and i'm like fuck off i was first of all his reaction, I think, like Brittany said, it was supposed to be like a scare tactic. So it's supposed to kind of like show the audience like a like, OK, he's not going to some cushy like, you know, Winnie the Pooh hot chocolate, place. Winnie the Pooh hot chocolate place. He is going to a real facility where people are kept this way. It, is, it was also supposed to it was supposed to create kind of like a divide between like, again, it was 2000. So they don't handle conversations about different varieties of mental. Intellectual disabilities. I do like that Law and Order is not afraid to say there's no winners in this situation. Mm-hmm. There was, honestly, there was not a single shred of justice done in this whole episode, really. Like, Carlos gets off scot-free, assumedly, but based on his life, he's probably going to reoffend and then end up in prison because the school doesn't give a shit about helping him out and the law doesn't give a shit about, like, rehabilitation or helping him out. So that kid's fucked. Um, Alfonso's life is probably ruined because he's spending the next 15 years incarcerated and as Stan has proven it's really hard to get a job once you get out Um, Mrs. Bernstein's dead and another thing that sucks here is that she's the person who died and she's a woman and her focus is so diminished in in here it's all about the men right and they do keep calling her and I know it was kind of the point but they keep calling her like the old lady too and oh she was this little old lady and it's like I get it. It was she had a life, and she was a person, right? It was not really because she's not real, but you know yeah, what I mean. She wasn't real. But once again, I do have to call out S- in a good way. Call it SVU for I don't know, kind of once again, almost being like fuck the system. If looking at this episode, the clear villain is the system. It's not. Yeah. It's the system failed Alfonso and Carlos. The system failed Jimmy Walp, and then because the systems, the systems, the man, the systems. Failed all these people. Mrs. Bernstein ended up dead. Yeah. This one reminded me of Bad Blood in that, yeah, there was just no winners. Kind of fucking sucked. Like, you know, not fucking sucked, but it was like, this fucking sucks. You know, it. That's so true. I felt found like so many notes of other episodes throughout this one. Mm. Um, Bad Blood for one, for sure. And then a little bit of I'm just going to call it Murder by Morons because I can't remember the real name. Uncivilized. I just remembered it. Uncivilized. There we go. Yes. That's a very good Actually, that's probably more close. And it also, those two just kind of also asks, what is justice? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That's all I have. Oh, oh, mud on. <laughs> well, next week we're talking about season one, episode 17, Miss Leader. It's crazy. We're coming down the home, home stretch. We are. We're almost of done. season one. We're almost done. I mean, I'm not happy, yeah. but you know what I mean? I'm like, I can't believe we're going to do it. We're accomplishing something, Brittany. 
Woo! Woo! We've re- <laughs> Besides episode five, Wanderbus, but that's not our fault. We accomplished the art of accepting our faults that day. No, I'm still not over it. We're both trash for letting that happen. Fucking Trauma. devastating. Well, guys, thank you for joining us again. I hope we still have the same amount of listeners that we had two weeks ago. I think we do. I know everyone f- left. Thank you for your patience. And we'll see you next week, everybody. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.